this is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. And this Oktoberfest, Restless is a post-mortem on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I am your host, Matt, joined by Pastor Michael. Pastor Michael, this October, we are finishing our review of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. We got to push through it. We got to push through it. We're going to do it, people. Even these massive, mondo, huge episodes, we're getting through them. And we're going to get through one tonight. That's right. We are getting through the second to last normal episode after which they released, of course, like 10 bonus episodes and after episodes because they had the advertising sold for those. I'll just say that that... That much is clear. If we got to the point where we had tens of millions of people listening to our podcast, we're putting out bonus content constantly. You know what I mean? I mean, we we would be we would be doing what we can for that. Pastor Michael has just said, "Come by me, come. I'm I'm your shill. Better help. Uh, Yeah, better help. Whatever ads are available. There was one with like DL." Hughley just talking about something in the last <laughs> but hey, we t- this is a good opportunity though if you are by the way uh someone within the reformed world either in you know publishing or maybe coffee roasting or anything like that and you're listening or you know somebody in those places and they want to advertise somewhere we'd love to talk um i've got literally a giant list of of people that we've been meaning to email about that um so if you have a business that you want to advertise on the restless show we're open to that. Um, we're thinking about doing that. We just are maybe uh, not best at the side of this podcast that makes money. <laughs> so this was the this this was Pastor Michael doing the billboard on the side of the road that's blank that says "Put your ad yes. here" or whatever. So we are doing the Tempest, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which I don't know how many ad breaks it had, but it had enough because it was two and a half hours long. Um. We are not going to play clips from this episode, quite obviously, because there would be too many. But also, I will explain why, as I listen to it, I actually think it will work better the way we will do this. Let me just say, if you are a person, and I know there are some, who aren't, who isn't listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, just enjoys our podcast, enjoys the conversations we have on it. If you do want to hear an episode that actually explains pretty much from the inside how mars hill actually went down like not the like maybe these beliefs or attitudes like the actual hard facts that brought down mars hill this is the one episode i would i would recommend listening to i think this is the best episode by far from a craftsmanship perspective from a journalism perspective from actual new information from speaking to insiders i actually wonder if they got some of these like high-end people and some of these calls about what to do in these crises and based on that information they said we could make this into a podcast what do you think pastor michael do you think this is maybe the high this is maybe the high point in what he was mike cosper was able to do with this yeah it has to be and up until this point the vast majority even though they've had some interviews with people on the inside a lot of the interviews have been people from the outside like giving their expertise on exactly you know Common- jesus and john wayne or, yeah right. you know commentary from the outside 
this is the one where there were so many people and I shouldn't, I mean, it's not that it was all that. Cause we had a few of the people that show up in this episode in the past episodes. Yep. Um, but here you had just a, a plethora of insider takes, which, you know, um, you know, we still want to, you know, maybe ask questions about, yep. try to understand what's going on here, but it did give information that you couldn't just get from the outside. Right. right? There are a lot of things yes. that have been talked about in the podcast up to this point that you and I were like, oh, we kind of knew that, right? right? We knew Mark Driscoll did that thing or this thing. What we want to know is actually some of the behind the scenes. How did it all go down? Why wasn't anybody saying this shouldn't happen? Let's stop right. this. Or was there and they just didn't get their voice out? What's going on? And this right. one really delivered in that way, I think. Definitely. Yeah, the big, the big, like, the big, like, uh, hold your horses if you want with this episode is, again, we still don't get Driscoll's side from him because obviously he was never going to speak to them about this. But so we have the proverb says one side's case seems clear until the other. Right. So we do have that. But this is the episode where you go. You've heard Michael and I say so many times in doing this review. We remember that we heard that live or we listened to that or we knew we about defended that. that. Yeah, we def- <laughs> or I, I defended that repeatedly. This is the episode where I said, I am hearing things and hearing from people I've never heard of that I never heard about. And so I think this is where, yeah, you see the real, the real journalism. And I actually wonder with, with some of these people you hear in the earlier episodes, I actually wonder if they were mostly interviewed for this material and they spoke on other things that that got edited back in and that yeah. this was the like, because the quality of their, of what they're talking about is just, is just so much higher than at any other point. And there's, yeah. there's very little filler from like people giving their comments on it, which again, yeah. I think is why, while we could do a two part episode on this, I actually don't think it's as valuable because oftentimes, and this is why we're not using a ton of clips and going to go on forever on this episode is Normally what we're doing is we are providing alternative commentary to the extensive commentary given on Driscoll and on these events. This episode is much more explaining the story, telling the story. And therefore we have a lot, you know, we, we aren't doing journalism and researching these things and able to present counter stories. So that's not valuable for us to do. And so we are going to do this in one shot. And so, um, yeah, I, I just think that if you want to hear it, this if there's only one episode, and I'm sorry I'm picking like the longest one for you, uh, this would be the one episode that I think would be, you would get a very clear picture of what happened at Marceau. Yeah. Now, that being said, I do think there is still um, a thesis. Again, it's not going to be as loaded as some of them, but I really think the basic thesis, because this episode covers the last two years of Mars Hill's existence, it says... The last two years saw all the problems building up come to the head as the church began to run more like a business. The abuses were ramped up to protect Mark Driscoll until the dam finally broke. And that's basically how they explain how Mars Hill ended, um, that they couldn't hold back the controversies anymore. So how do I do? What do you think, Pastor Michael, about this understanding of what happened at Mars Hill? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, it sounds sounds fine to me. I, you know, I was just re-listening to it today because it's been a while since I've listened to it and it's so long. I wanted to make sure I had a, a decent memory of of what was going on. 
And I feel like in this episode, there are a lot of episodes where like, you know, I felt a little antagonistic because I feel like they're, you know, they're bringing in all of these people that I'm like, I don't think that they actually have the correct view on what went down here and why it went down. And we've talked about that a lot, but this is the episode where I felt like, because there's all these personal accounts and, you know, again, whether or not you can trust every personal account, the fact that there are so many of them um, and they do correspond to so much that we saw from the outside, but the feeling that you get while listening is that like slow kind of buildup of like, Oh, something has to break. Right. Like there, right. you, as you're listening, you're like, it's coming to that kind of climax where something has to fall completely apart or there has to be some massive repentance or who knows what's going to happen. And I mean, I guess we know in this case what did happen. Yeah. And this is actually one of the meta things that I definitely felt while listening to this episode. This podcast exists in an entire genre of podcasts that were likely started by Serial, right? This, you know, this famous look at um, this, the you know, this murder case that uh, obviously the producer, Sarah Koenig, she thought he was... Uh, innocent of that he'd been wrongly convicted and you know true crime all these kinds of like very personal uh the most unique one i ever listened to was like i think it was called like finding richard simmons and like just trying to talk to him because he totally disappeared from the world and that one may be more extreme (laughs) than this one but but what i just started to like man i was like how is it like really a good thing that there is like an entire genre of podcast and read entertainment where we just kind of like, Hey, we're just going to kind of do journalism, but on just kind of stories of people's personal wreckage, like because of how personal and how many stories of this they do, that was kind of the meta question. And obviously why did I have so much time? Why could, why did I think about this? Because this episode is so long. I had time to think about all kinds of different things. And just the one I was like, is it wise for us to like, because this is not just this, this, you know, we can say Driscoll was a public figure. This was all public, whatever. This is an entire genre of things. This isn't one thing. This exists in that ecosystem. And so I actually yeah, no, have this no is idea how to feel about it. I want to jump in there and say there's so there is so there's so many possible ways that this could go off the rails. There's part of me that wants to say, man, I'm really thankful that somebody's doing this because we got to learn, right? Like we've got to figure stuff out. And this guy was so popular, it could be really helpful. On the other hand, I know for a fact, right? Like I know for a fact that there are so many people listening to this just so that they can be the people that are like, yeah, that's right. Like Driscoll was a bad guy and I'm better than him. Right. Like I like you're building yourself instead of like using it as a way to reflect and be like, oh, shoot. Like, would I do that kind of thing if I was put in that position? um, Like, is it is it this ecclesiastical system that I'm also a part of that is really problematic and we should try to rethink it and what we're doing here? Um, Like there are many who will not go there because they just want to dunk on this guy because it makes them feel better about themselves. Yeah, I so I don't know. That is a, a question for each of our discerning listeners to think about with their own listening habits. I don't know. And I we just want to build our own podcast. That's right. <laughs> and we don't do that. That's not that's not who we be. Um, so I think the big thing you first hear in the episode, 
um, that is the big kind of complaint that they see um, being one of the big problems that kind of in the end brings down Mars Hill. And I'm going to call it's the commodification of Mars Hill. It's the like full standardization of their campuses so that one product can be presented wherever it is, which I know everyone like you must feel sick to your stomach hearing me describe that. And lots of people hate it because in my mind, here's why everyone hates it. Because in the end, when you take it to its logical conclusion, nobody wants business consultants to run the church, which is what was basically happening at the end of the last literally, two years of Mars literally, 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 yeah, sorry, sorry. Not a basically, in actuality, the church was being ran by people with financial interests and for business purposes. Yeah. And, and the, those were the concerns, right? Like yes. even, you know, when you hear, um, you know, is it Sutton Turner? Is that his name? Sutton Turner, a yeah, guy just... who gets all the, all the, all the guff he gets, he deserves. I'll just put it that way and let you continue. <laughs> on. Yeah. So Sutton Turner's mentioned in this episode a lot. And, you know, I just remember one point where he cut, like when he first came in and what's his like judgment about where the church is at and the problems. Well, the problem is that financially, we wait till the very end of the year to make up all the money from that we need for the previous year. Um, and that's like, that's the problem because it's getting our budgets getting bigger and bigger and we need more and more of this Hail Mary pass at the end of right. the year to make it work. And I was like, that's not the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, that's a problem, but Oh man, is it not the problem? So, I mean, even the fact that that is seen as like, Oh yeah, this is what we need to deal with. And even right there, man, what a good thing to remember for all of us that the church is not a business, right? Right. The church is not a fortune 500 company. That is yes. not how the church is supposed to be run. And um, the reality is that many, many, many churches are run from the perspective of like, it's a business. Correct. Now, now they don't go as extreme as Mars Hill does, right? Yes, Where it's right. literally almost like never. Yep. Sutton Turner is brought in as the CEO. Like that is, he was a CEO of other companies. He was brought in to fill that role. Yep. To be a and CEO. And they called it executive pastor. Yeah. Also, a lot of the time, instead, it's like the guys who end up as elders are businessmen and they're right. like, well, this is how we would do Like it's, it's just the air they breathe. Right. So right. they just, instead of being trained into what it looks like to be a shepherd, instead they're running things like they would a business right right or or your church we're like well we just need to use some of the leadership you know these like secular leadership material like we'll bring in all these various things now like what's interesting and unique about mars hill is they said self-consciously we're running this as a fortune 500 company here we go all the way and that and leads to, of course, all kinds of changes and a franchise model. So they have to like squash all differences to make this thing the most, man, like, again, it is unsurprising to me that basically in this time frame, at the beginning of this point is when I lost interest in Driscoll. It wasn't because I believed he was suddenly a bad guy. It's because I believed I had nothing left to learn from it because whatever all the hard edges that were attractive and made it challenging like intellectually and spiritually challenging and what's going on what to think the things that were unique about it 
they literally have to stamp that out because business consultants are running things now. Yeah, it all becomes about image and brand. Yeah. And even the fact that, you know, this talks about how so many things kind of boiled up over time where, you know, the church had been trying to keep under wraps, for instance, like this message board from the very early days right. of yep. the church. And they were trying to like, they were reaching out to former members and congregants about like, hey, do you have snapshots of this? Do you have like a saved copy of this? Because we want to make sure nobody has it because right. we know that that's going to make the image look bad later. Instead of say, you know, have Mark Driscoll come out and say, man, I used to really say some horrible things. I want to publicly repent of those things, even though it was kind of a private message board. It was kind of public because it was for the church. And I just want to repent of those things. And I know I don't even know all the bad things I said, but I said a lot of horrible things and I want to repent of that. But that would cut right across the image that they were building of this guy of being like the man, right? Like he's the guy that everybody can hear from and listen to. But, but man, I'll just say Sutton Turner, I'd love to have you on the show, but the, you don't have to go down with the ship. Like, yeah, what a just that is a punk move. Like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to go be CEO somewhere else successful. What a I free, just, oh, yeah, this it does seem like such a cop out, right? Oh. Well, like that. He helped me realize that I could be free of this. Yes. Dude, you were like, you're the guy helping to steer the Titanic yeah. into the iceberg. Yeah. Not that understand? that wasn't meant to be like a conspiracy that that was on purpose or anything. Do, I just like that's what you're doing. Do you understand? that Driscoll is going to say, I feel like I can be free of this. And we're like that monster. But this right. guy's like, well, I talked And that's to what someone. he did. That is yeah, that's that's what Driscoll did. God yeah. told us yeah. to go, like we could go We're God told us we're freed. Yes. So we can leave. And that's what Sun Turner did. It's like, way. ah, yeah, he's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this led me to two questions. So one of the things in the branding thing um, is they broke top. Driscoll leaves TGC. He's no longer interested in this association. Uh, gives Acts 29 over to uh, Matt Chandler. I really believe there's an interesting alternative history where he's still on top of these things and this all happens. Man, I do not. God's grace to those things that he, for building his own self-image, left those things. Yeah. But here's my one question as we'll leave this section, go to the next one. So one of the things that happens in this process where they are bringing in uh, Sutton Turner, they're standardizing things, and they are just wild. I mean, like they say like 80% of the staff turnover in these two years, just wild changes occurring in the church. Do you think Driscoll, the person, is lonely or is he literally a sociopath? Like with the amount of changes that are happening, I I. That was the thing that I'm like, man, I would, that would be a question. I just wanted want to hear from Driscoll. Like, yeah, just tell me, was that super lonely? And I don't know. Even, even sociopaths can get lonely, Matt. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Slam that one on a t-shirt. I like, I can't imagine he's not, I can't imagine he's not, but at the same time, like that, uh, that impulse that I think all of us have. Right. That impulse of of not repenting, but hiding. Right. And Mm. trying to, like, cover things up on our own where we have to cover ourselves and our own kind of righteousness, where we can just try to play everything off like, well, it's really not my fault or, you know, God was calling me to something else or it's just these bad people all around me. Um, They mentioned at one point that, you know, uh, Driscoll kind of let down his guard a little bit at this uh, 
you know, at this retreat thing that they did, he said something about playing word association with his wife and his wife said people. And he said, I don't even remember like yeah, I don't scary either. or hurt yeah, or yeah. I don't know what, but he like was trying to obviously trying to insulate himself from people because he was super suspicious, which by the way, is a massive sign of narcissism, right? Like right. if you think everybody's out to get you and tear you down, do you got serious, serious problems of narcissism? Right, right. So the next section of this episode lists the kinds of abuses and abusive practices that were happening in the church to protect Driscoll, to push this thing forward. Um, so one just like, mic drop unbelievable moment is there's this woman that blogs for them and they want her she's like doesn't like the 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 business turn of the church and so she ends up she and her husband end up meeting with him and she's trying to talk to mark driscoll and evidently if this happened oh man he evidently this is the only story in this where i'm like maybe not he said i reserve the right to only speak to heads of households like and Driscoll began the war against the patriarchy that day when he made this comment just unbelievable um yeah well just even just the like that's so obviously it's so obviously a move of like like right. a power play of oh, like yeah. I'm I'm trying to shame you right like I'm right. trying to uh hold this over your head and try to like humiliate you in front of everybody else. Yeah. And so, um, so this woman also in when her husband's finally fired, I really feel bad for how this guy got fired. I actually feel worse for them with how he's portrayed on this podcast because his wife called him an empty, broken shell of a man three different times in her recording. And I was like, Ooh, I felt bad. Sorry. I'm sorry to like pour it on this guy, but I just like kind of laughed the third time. I was like, okay, we could have, like, like she's just giving an interview. Like, we could have cut one of these. Like, we didn't need, like, and when he left with his stuff, he was looked like a truly empty, broken totally shell of a man. Absolutely emasculated. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, like, oh, uh, what a bummer. Um, and so, interestingly, there was a group, you, you hear about groups of elders who um, brought uh, charges against Driscoll and how those things were handled. One of those groups was led by Dave Kraft who wrote two books for leadership um, for Mars Hill. And I have them both on my shelf. And so I'd like to show you what they were called. So the first one is called Leaders Who Last. So Dave Kraft wrote a book for um, Mars Hill about what it takes to be a leader who lasts. His second book, feeling like maybe it seemed like um, he, uh, or, or maybe this one wasn't written by him, but this was just the next one they put out with him. And it's called Leading on Empty. So you get to, as time went on, you went from leaders who last to leading on empty. And so wow. I didn't realize that when I uh, bought these books. You just so, see that, like you're just tracking <laughs> yeah. the church, yeah. right? Like as it's going. Yeah. Leading when everything's the worst. Hey, you know, they it's didn't almost quite... like this guy's writing these books, like just for Driscoll, right? Yeah, like, he's exactly. just trying like, man, I hope he reads these. Yeah. <laughs> man, oh. I hope he actually reads a book a day. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course he, I'm sure you know, recommended these, but, um, and so the other big, the big thing that I found crazy, and I'll actually say where I think, um, 
where the line is crossed where I'm like, you guys are now the evil empire. Like there is no, that there's like, you've crossed the line. So one, the insane practices, and I know this has happened at Southern Baptist institutions. I think it is insane that there are Christian churches and institutions requiring NDAs to be signed and non-competes, especially for you to get severance. Like that, that is applied. I think it is insane. It it's is. insane. It is. This is like just the very nature of gospel ministry, of church ministry. It's not that everything is blasted publicly. But it's open. It's honest. It's right. We're not working uh, by shameful and underhanded ways. We're not working right. by cunning. Right. No, it's right. just it's an open proclamation of the truth. And um, yeah, there are still going to be things that are a kind of confidential, although I don't even love the word confidential uh, because it just makes it seem like that kind of avenue, right? Like this is a, this is kind of a cold business world where we keep things under wrap, but like there are things that you need to have a certain amount of discretion for, right? And not everybody needs to know and not everybody needs to hear. Um, Not all things are public. There are private matters, but man, when I hear about uh, non-disclosure agreements within the church, it really bums me out. And instantly I think that, I cannot trust you at all. Right. Of That's course. how I feel instantly. I can't trust you. Right. Cause you're trying to hide something. You're trying to protect something, but what are you protecting from? Right. You're not like, you know, just going to be able to plead your case openly and honestly. Well then I like, I just don't know that I can trust you. The, the, the gospels and the, the apostolic leadership are over and over. So clear that like we did everything in public in front of like, this is their thing. Like, we did this as publicly and openly as possible. And we are Christ not Christ himself like says this, right? I mean, when he's arrested, I did yeah. everything in front of you and you didn't arrest me then, right? Like you saw everything, you heard everything and you come under the cover of night. Right. And so, but, and so I, I just think, again, there are other Christian institutions still doing this and this is insane. I've heard of this in the PCA. I don't know if this is true, um, but I've heard of cases, uh, particularly in certain cases of of like, you know, uh, kind of megalomaniac type guys who get into the pulpit or, Mm. you know, in places of leadership. I have heard of this kind of thing happening and it's gross. It's insane. And obviously, as as uh, Pastor Michael is saying, there would be a horrible way to sin against the church you left. Right. Like you're going to blast all your counseling cases out. Like there are insane, like there are insane sinful ways you could harm things, but like to just be like, you can't just, you, I, it's just a thing that it's, it's insane that this is like, that this happens in parachurch ministries and all kinds of things. And this man. So I think where they cross the line for me, where they like become the true bad guys, where there's like, there's no going back from this is there is a pastor apparently at their downtown campus. Who's kind of resistant to some yeah. of their um, changes. Cause he has a pretty unique ministry, right? It's basically, he's running an inner city church. So he's dealing with prostitution. Like he's dealing with some very intense things. And I'll just say, again, don't know the guy, don't know what he and I would agree on, but he sounds like he's acting like a pastor. He sounds, he like, sounds like an actual pastor. Yep. He sounds definitely, definitely sounds like an actual pastor. And the fact that the Mars Hill machine declared war on this guy, that was the moment I said, this Ichabod 
the glory has departed. You are antichrist. You have declared war on maybe the only pastor you employ. Yep. That was yeah, the moment. It, oh man, you feel it when you're hearing this guy get interviewed because he is just like a like a regular guy. And um, on the interview, um, you hear uh, the kind of, I mean, he's not, he's not like vengeful. Nope. He's, he's not, not like some of the guys come on and they're like, they're really angry. Oh, yeah. He doesn't seem that way at all. You know, he's like unhappy that it yeah. went out this way, but he's clearly like got a pretty solid outlook on it um, from like a personal spiritual perspective, at least from what you can tell, at least what right. he he interviewed and Mike Cosper, even at one point is like, you know, when this guy was telling us, you know, he's, they're interviewing him and Mike Cosper breaks in to say, actually, when he, you know, responded or talked to Mark Driscoll or whatever he did, this letter he wrote, or I can't remember the details, but he was like way more like self-deprecatory. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When he defended deprecatory, him. deprecatory, dep- what dep- am I? <laughs> He was self-depreciative for self-depreciating. He was self-depreciative. <laughs> um, anyway, so he, you know, even Mike Cosper's like, this guy doesn't even like talk about how like nice he went about this and is the kind of guy that probably is looking back and like, man, I could have handled it better. You know, I should have, you know, yeah. just a good, like just a ni- nice guy, you know, a good guy. And that to me gave me a nice rule of thumb that when does a church become antichrist? when they begin attacking the real pastors among them. So for example, the old Presbyterian church, when did they become antichrist? When they began attacking Machen. When did Rome become formally antichrist? When they began attacking Luther, right? When did the North American Episcopalians become antichrist? When they began attacking J.I. Packer, right? You just, it becomes this like very, um, right? Obviously the Pharisees, right? They're attacking Christ. It just becomes this like, oh, wow, very helpful rule of thumb that that you when they begin to assault the real shepherds that's when you know this isn't like there aren't problems there aren't need of reform like this thing is dead this thing is con- like this thing is gone um so the next uh section i want to do before we uh come to our, towards the end is we're going to talk about the characters who kind of who will say got driscoll right the the people that brought all of these things to light. Um, and we'll see how much of these people uh, Pastor Michael knew about uh, because two, one was very well known to me. The other was pretty known. And then the other one was actually like, uh, uh, was very new information for me. So the first person they kind of bring in to talk about how they got Driscoll was Janet Mefford. Pastor Michael, do you know, Did you have you ever listened to her radio show? I don't know if it's still on, but. No, no. The only time I've heard of her, I believe it's very possible that when all this was go- going down, that I listened to some of this, I listened mm. to that interview or something. But, you know, it's so long ago now that I really don't remember. I didn't it didn't ring a bell, you know, when I was listening yeah, yeah. to it on this podcast. I don't think I listened to this interview. I've listened to her interview some other people. She is like the discernment discernment blogger space. She's actually like a fairly J Mac camp kind of person, yeah. which is why she's interviewing him about his antics at strange fire. Right. That kind of like, you know, I'm sure that kind of grinded her gears and made her decide she was going to go after it. I think the one thing we can give her a lot of credit for is her journalist background actually shows in her ability to interview him. Like all yeah. these people, all these like Christians who are like trying to do this, 
have no idea what they're doing, but she actually knows how to like run in a critical interview, which she it did shows. a good job. Yeah. You hear it. Um, yep. You hear even just how she handles it when he like clearly starts to attack her yep. uh, and like she handles it well. Yep. She's able to keep pretty calm. And uh, it seems like not many would be able to do that, right. especially Driscoll. He was a persuasive guy. Yep. You know, he was pretty. Uh, and he's he was pretty, pretty persuasive in the interview. Guy. He like, is. Yeah, he is. But uh, she's stuck with it, which is great. Yeah. And he calls her grumpy like, yo, you're having a grumpy day. I wish this could have went better. Now, I'll just say, like, dude, she's a discernment blogger. This is kind of their thing. They're just <laughs> like, she's kind of a like, yeah, it's okay. Like, part of her, her part of the body of the church is, I'm kind of grumpy. They're, like, their whole, their whole shtick is that they're kind of just angry all the time. Yeah. Like, and we all kind of put up with it and listen once in a while. <laughs> yeah. And we, and we like learn, like, right. You could be like, yeah, Janet Mefford is kind of grumpy, but oh, wow, I'm learning a lot about what she's presenting in this interview um i do feel like so she's interviewing him because she found portions of his books that uh apparently were plagiarized in the end uh because she suspected they were and with how the whole mars hill thing freaked out about it they seem pretty clearly almost definitely almost definitely (laughs) plagiarized i just will say you know way to go discernment blogger like getting into these details in a kind of grumpy like super focused way but i feel like getting driscoll on footnoting is kind of like getting al capone on tax fraud it's like you got him okay (laughs) like i don't i don't know but it put a major kind of chink in this like it put a mate it started causing people to look for their publishing practices honestly how much of it was just that like this maybe even would have blown over except that what she started to do is she kind of, you know, uncovered a little bit. It's like, I'm getting, even as you were talking, I was getting the image of like when you pick up like a piece of wood or a rock from the ground Mm. and there's all these little bugs and they all scurry. Uh, But like, she just picked up a little rock and she saw that and she was like, okay, what's going on here. And then like that allowed other people to pick it up. But what you find is that this goes to the money, right? This goes to the publishers. And I think that's where things really started to like change because um, if the publishers all would have just like stood behind it, I I think it would have just blown over. I really do. I think that particular, there were plenty of issues that were going to explode, Right. but that particular issue of the plagiarism, I think would have blown over because the publishers already had this, right? They were supposed to already check this, right? right? It became, I don't know what the deal was with Mars Hill and Tyndale or whatever, but like, it's clear that like, somebody wasn't doing their job right Right. obviously at mars hill they weren't obviously mark driscoll who very likely was not writing these anyway was not checking them over but what did they call the content system the mars hill con like the unbelievable like the mark like and driscoll didn't write that many books and again his later books were bad and obviously it's clear why but um, and where all of these things, all of these stories, all of these things kind of started getting collated and republished and broadcast were at Warren Throckmorton's blog. How much of his blog did you read back in the day? So this is a name that's familiar to me. Okay. But the thing is that I started to like back away from the whole Driscoll thing, at least a, you know, a couple of years before the implosion, yeah. maybe several years before the implosion. And so... Like I was, I was watching a little bit from a distance, right? Like I right. saw things happening, but I, 
like I was pretty out of the game by time things like real marriage came out and all that. I was already kind of like, I don't really trust what's going on out there anymore. And so I wasn't reading, I wasn't keeping up with it all completely. Uh, But I do believe that I looked at it some, I heard about it some, maybe after the fact I saw it, Um, I, you know, but I definitely am familiar with it. I own real marriage. I have never finished it. Oh, by the way, I forgot Dave, Dave crafts, uh, second book before leading on M- third second before the leading on empty. He wrote mistakes leaders make. So we went from leaders who last to mistakes leaders make to leading on empty. Like what? A Again, clear, he's just like, writing for Driscoll. Yeah, like, like, oh, uh, some mistakes. Maybe, maybe you didn't read the first book. I just want to <laughs> put this one out there. <laughs> Look out, man. <laughs> oh man. Just so funny. Um, Warren Throckmorton, I started reading him a lot after the stuff with Driz- all the really bad stuff started coming out, um, which was after I was kind of done with following him a lot. But the guy just literally every day wrote about Driscoll. Like it was like, again, it was a really big deal, but it did feel like obsessive. Like this guy every day wrote things about Driscoll. Um, and so he is one of the people that searched out the real marriage controversy which if you're a listener and you don't know what that is i mean you can find this everywhere online but basically they use church funds and made these really selective purchases to get real marriage on the new york times bestsellers list um which is evidently a fairly common uh tactic probably isn't anymore i'm sure these algorithms have gotten better at uh figuring out when this is done um i don't but- know yeah. I don't know if that's true. I, you know, how many of the algorithms are built to allow for that still with the right purchase, sure. you know, with the right kind of money coming through sure. our hands, sure. we're willing to bump this up again. You know what I mean? But yeah. So, so Warren Throckmorton is like, he is the anti Driscoll person, like everything about Driscoll Warren Throckmorton's against. So if you read him long enough, you'll see him be against complementarianism and all kinds of stuff. And so he just basically everything about Driscoll, he, wrote against and this is fascinating by the way um just the the fact that so often these guys who are uh like driscoll who are just these like they're really on a certain level right impressive right like they're impressive individuals they're they're clearly good at what they do but they're also sociopaths you know or at least seemingly they're also narcissists but what's crazy about it is it so often works Right. That's what's so hard about this stuff is because like you're a narcissist and you start creating your own little world and all of a sudden everyone else starts living in it. Right. Like, what does that do to you? What like you start to like be like, whoa, like when I say this, we just do it and it becomes something. And like that's got to like contribute to some of it, too. Right. It becomes this feedback loop of like building yourself up all the time. And so you've got guys like this who all of a sudden they become they start rotating around you. Yeah, they hate you but they, their lives are about you, you know, like they're still all about you. Whereas a guy like Driscoll, you got to think that like, it was good that you have certain people that are uncovering things, but how much of this, if people just ignored it and the people who were like, yeah, I can't put up with this stuff. were like gone. And all the pastors at the church who were like, oh, this is bad news actually left, actually said something and left instead of waiting around a long time. Um, Like if that just would have happened, how much of this would never have gotten where it got? Right. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe it still would, but it's just interesting to me to think about. And then one of the things that was one of the biggest breaking points, and this was a totally new thing to me, was 
the republishing of the William Wallace posts, which we talked about really early on. Um, these basically like internet, basically troll dudes, like saying, we're going to publish this all. This is what got Paul David Tripp to leave. Dude, like this is what got um, uh, all the dude, our, our friend from Chicago, from Harvest Bible Chapel, um, James McDonald. This is what got him scurrying <laughs> off. Uh, if James ship. McDonald is leaving to cover his butt, you better be looking out. Like I, <laughs> there's something I, really bad going on. I'll just on. say like, I have a feeling he just didn't want investigations to investigate his personal life. Uh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Well, and even he says it, right? Like it, it says it every, like when he left, he was like, like, I still support this guy 100%, right? Everything's uh, yeah. good. I'm sure he had that call to Driscoll where he was like, dude, you've seen some of the church books at my church. Like we yep. can't let any of this stuff get out. I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so um, I, I did, and I'm like, you're getting to the point he's getting what's coming to him. Like all of this is deserved. All of this is earned, but I'm like, dang, like anonymous internet dudes, like reposting stuff. This kneecapping is just like, it's just like, dude, when you're living in the mud, like, okay, I get it. Like, you're going to get these other mud monsters attacking you. But it, it it's like, yeah, this, the end of Mars Hill, the end of Driscoll is, I'm like, this isn't how this is supposed to go. Like, and even like 10 year old posts by him. I'm like, again, pretty lame. Pretty lame. Way to go down. Um, but okay. So I want to make, I have three quibbles with this episode that I have praised pretty uh heavily so the first one is um it, part of the mars hill media machine is the docent research group um docent group research group i believe you're probably listening to me talk right now uh because i think you may have produced this episode because right driscoll is basically apparently republishing your things completely uh, so sorry, Pastor Michael, I'm jumping. I'm way jumping way too fast. We've talked about the docent <laughs> research group in the past. It sounds, by the way, like you're saying that they're publishing our episode. Like they're no, like this episode of Restless brought to you by docent. <laughs> dude, docent, if you'd love, if we could do just like a an interview with you. Um, oh, that would be the best. Let's because, do it. So docent research group is a Christian research group that gives pastors materials for preaching sermons for creating sunday school material for doing um um surveys in their community to know what to preach on this kind of thing uh the southern baptist convention uh it's been indicated that they may be writing sermons for people uh because there were two very famous southern baptist pastors who preached the exact same sermons from romans using docent research group yeah not now, one of them the, the southern baptist the president the president, two presidents and the next president <laughs> and the next president and then one president suddenly fell on his sword and was like it's not that guy's fault it's not docent research group's fault so driscoll <laughs> is plagiarizing books and all oh, it's these footnoting problems but this episode couldn't make it more clear without any sources. Docent Research Group always footnotes everything perfectly. And <laughs> they never write sermons for everyone. There was, I was like, dude, this is what you need to blow open. Like, yeah, yeah you got to tell us about this. Who's yes. using it? 
are, yeah. are they actually using it for sermons? Because you could try to find out. Like somebody could be doing that research why, right now. Why don't these people get damned by association with Driscoll? Why are they like, well, they were the good guys, just so you know. Like, just to be clear, them doing all of his sermon and book research and drafting stuff for him, they were the good guys. It was how Driscoll, <laughs> like, I think they wrote his last, like, two books, probably. Yeah, probably. Pretty clearly. And we want, yeah, and we just want to know, right? Like, and is it possible that, like, they literally just have guys, they just go do research, you pay for that research, you get it, and then, like, the Mars Hill team that was actually writing these things, they're the ones that were like, yeah, we're just not going to footnote that part, we're going to keep that out, whatever. And doesn't yeah. actually have nothing to do with it? Maybe. But I want to know. Oh, <laughs> I, want, yeah. I want you to tell me because this shows up so much. And the fact that this episode comes out after there's been a pretty significant yeah, yeah. scandal in the last year or two with Docent. And that you quickly defend them. So that that is just, dude, the conspiracies are alive, Docent, just so you know. Like, <laughs> you can squash them. Just come on out. Just tell yeah. us, right? Yeah. Um, because the thing for for docent and now maybe there are pastors who don't want to admit they buy and preach written sermons but there are plenty of pastors who do that and are just okay with that like people do that docent um and again the fact that you don't want us to talk about that is the is the really questionable thing so uh and i do know you have to sign ndas to use docent materials so another really really cool thing so the the other question that doesn't get answered is they mentioned this literary agent that driscoll and the church started using um and that's who really who apparently because of course it wasn't sutton turner they don't know anyone in the leadership whose idea it was to buy all these copies of real marriage you know they just can't think of whose idea it could have been it was nobody's um but that they started using this one very famous retail um book book agent and that he really pushed all this forward um and this that they used this agency called result stores and that's how they bought all these books and they mentioned this is a really popular way to do things even in christian publishing they throw dr david jeremiah who no one in our circles cares about under the bus for doing this right and no, then they just no one in our circles because you know they're not 75 <laughs> and 80 years old yeah <laughs> And, and they just go, and you know, and there are lots of other people he represents. And, and then the end, this would be your perfect moment to just read the list of who he represents. Yeah. And what Christian publishers he frequently works with. If this was such a big deal that yeah. Driscoll used this, then tell us who else uses it. Yes. Yes. Um, so that was, there were just these two moments where I noticed this pulling of the punches of the journalism that had been done. Now, so my final quibble is actually with a theological bias. So early in this, in this entire podcast, we have lots of things where complementarianism, as we have been, as we've no, we've noted, Driscoll's views on men and women, the Bible. The, the teaching, these biblical teachings of complementarianism are in part, not all, they are in part of the reason for Driscoll's abuse, view of women, horrible misogynistic comments, right? That this theology plays a part in what he's done. Here's 
and again, that is a perspective I would expect a large group of people to have egalitarians, feminists, that whole group. I don't, it's not a surprise that people believe that, right? However, this is the episode where the full even handedness totally breaks down. Why aren't Driscoll's antics at Strange Fire, which of course I thought were cool at the time, and the fact that he leaves the church saying, God says I'm released, the fault of charismatic theology in Pentecostal mm-hmm. churches. How come those are like, I can't believe he said God told me. Whereas, mm-hmm. well, let's be, how come, how come, again, this is where you see the, the bias, the messaging that they're trying to produce. This kind of turn where certain kinds of theology, well, that's why part of why Driscoll was the way he was. The other one is, oh, I can't believe Driscoll would make charismaticism look so hokey as to say, God told me to do something I just wanted to do, which just to be clear, I'm sure he's the only person that, you know, listener, <laughs> yeah, who, who's right. every one movie. of us just thought of a list of people that we know <laughs> has said that a million times, because that's what everybody does yeah. in these kinds of circles. No, I yeah. felt this exact same way, uh, by the way, that like the, I, listening to this, I felt just the dangers of using uh, these spiritual terms and ideas um, in such a way that it it just allows for this all the time, right? Like this this kind of of theological system that allows for you to just say, "Well, God told me to do it," and everyone else either has to say, uh, "Well." it is something that either God told him or like, I can't trust this guy at all. Right. Right. And generally speaking, what they're going to say is like, well, I guess I got to listen to him. This happens all the time. I know evangelical churches in my area that like somebody tells them, well, you know, I'm, I'm being called to this or that. And they are literally like, well, like leaders in the church will be like, well, we don't like that. And we don't think you really are, but who are we to say? And I'm like, I don't, like you're the leaders of the church. Like you're, you're, you're the exact people to say you are actually (laughs) like it's your, it's part of your job. In uh, fact, even when, even when the charismatic gifts were operative by apostolic construction, Paul said, let the elders say if this is true or not, like (laughs) you're still supposed to test the prophecies, right? Like you're saying, (laughs) you you still were the person to say when it was not even under debate of whether or not this person was actually a prophet. Yeah, no, I felt this way a lot that these elements, both of the like, so of the charismatic theology that allowed people to um, say things like God told us this is the way we're going. And so if you're not willing to join us, you're not with God. And on the other hand, the the theological systems, the ecclesiological systems that allow you to have the one guy who then like appoints a couple of guys who then fire everybody and then like builds a team of people that just will do whatever you say like that too. Right. Like these, these different systems are so, uh, so broken and so obviously ripe for abuse. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask one question and then you and I can share a lesson that we got from this, this episode. um, And then we can be done. So here's my one question. And this is a purely, this is again, a purely speculative question. And that's what we're doing so well here on the Restless Podcast. What do you think the mental gymnastics it took were for Driscoll to get from, I will preach 
my funeral sermon in this church, get in a coffin and die and be buried under this church to there's no way forward here. And I'm released. What were the mental gym? Did he is again, the question is basically, is this all just sheer? Like I say what I got to say and I'm done. And there's a pretty big golden parachute in Arizona for me. I got to go. Or is there like, or is there some kind of mental gymnastics he actually did to, to allow himself to conclude something so insanely contrary to what he had said for 10 years or more? Yeah. So this is where we get to the point where like, literally we can't know and right. we can't wild like, speculation. As It's I wild speculation. And it like, this is where it be, man, you wish someone in Driscoll's position would just come out and be like, oh, yeah, here's the like tell all, right? Yeah. Let me actually explain it. Like Dude. you pray, I pray that he would repent. Of course. And then come out and be like, wow, yeah, here's how it all went down. Here's where my like psyche was and how just like turned inward by sin I was that I could actually say some of these things and do some of these things that I did. Mm. Uh, because I just don't know. I, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say. Uh, but listening to this episode, when you listen to the ways in which um, particularly the spirit of God, but also at times scripture are twisted in order to like be used as a kind of cudgel against people that won't listen, that won't like get in line with this new mission of Mars Hill. Um, it just makes me think that like, it would not be that hard to turn that in a sense on yourself and mm. just lie to yourself. Like that wouldn't be that hard. We're sure. all, we all lie to ourselves yeah. in certain ways um, that like that comes pretty easily when you're at this point of pretty extreme narcissism, that line becomes so, I think so much more just like palpable and real that you can just kind of, you know, you just turn, you just, uh, you just do it. You don't turn in repentance. Instead, you just turn more inward in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, man, I would pay for Driscoll's tell all, even if he had to have docent research group help him write it. But man, I would, I, you really hope that, that at some level, and it's probably not true, that he hoped him leaving would keep the church together, which I'm sure he is, was not like that. Like, that's me just like wanting like there to be any redeeming, like, it's just so hard to even begin to believe that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So let's go to some, except lessons. that maybe oh. he would want that because it was tied up with him, yes, right? Because yes. it was his brand. So it was like, yeah, he has to save it, but only because it would save his image. Right. Right. So let's, let's go to some episodes. So here's, here's the one that there, there are basically one part one. My, my, my lesson from this episode is has a part a and part B. So Paul Tripp, when he's trying to figure out when he says, this is the most dysfunctional church i've ever seen in my entire life um one the thing he tries to do to say and this is just something i think we all need in our lives he says driscoll what you need is a 65 year old pastor to be with you and follow you around and basically just get to tell you what to do that is what everyone needs by the way if you're young praise in god for jim yeah. <laughs> so jim pastor by the way is, has yeah. <laughs> basically has this exact scenario by the way yeah jim is a senior pastor at church has been there since i've been at the church you know since long before me but uh i've had him you know for the last seven uh ish years 
of doing that, right? Like every week we meet and he's able to uh, do that. And man, yeah, praise God. Mm -hmm. And, but I think this leads me to my second lesson. So that's a lesson that I hope for everyone uh, in our audience who might be entering ministry. My second lesson is as I listen to this, basically from when the business consultants took over, I don't actually think there was any way out of this result at that point. Yeah. I think that there was nothing that ever the pie, the, the cake was baked. The flavor was there. It was all already done and there was no changing it. And this is why I think this is a, a potentially helpful episode. And I hope this isn't true for any of our listeners. There are churches and institutions so bad you can't change them and there's no reason to stay anymore because the end is already, it's already, the results are already in. It's already going this direction and there's no altering it no matter what at this point. And obviously this is an incredibly extreme case, but Jesus does promise to save his people. Jesus does promise to save the church and that the church will not fail. But that is not a promise extended to a local church. That is not a promise extended Mm. to a denominational body. And I just think that there are times where God's judgment and his discipline that the it's coming, it's just going to happen. And there's, and that there was nothing that could have changed it at that point in the church. Yeah, I think this is a good thing just to meditate on this. So just, you know, temperament wise, you know, I grew up uh, with parents that, you know, were a part of the same church basically my whole life and still are. And despite at times having, you know, maybe, you know, um, things they would like different or, you know, changes to be made, they just stuck with it. And that really impressed me um, and stuck with me. And so basically everywhere I've lived, I walked into a church and I said, I'm here, right? Like I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm just going to be here no matter what. I've been in churches where like I am, you know, reformed, complementarian, more conservative. And like, that's not at all where the church is at. Mm. And it's really hard for me to be there, but I'm like, I, like, I think that I have a place here and I can like serve this church faithfully and, and hopefully help move it in, in the right direction. I have lately, I, I hope I'm wrong. But man, lately, the more and more um, that, you know, I see the state of the evangelical church in America, um, not not particular denominations per se, but just like in general, like just the American, the ecosystem of the American church, you know, things like this. I just think, man, I think there's a lot more churches that I would put in the camp of there's no turning this around than I would like to admit, Mm. you know, like I, I generally want to be extremely positive. Um, I always imagined my life would be a life going into a church that was in, you know, kind of maybe a more general evangelical church. And I would spend my whole life bringing it to the point where it would be mildly reformed. And that would be it, right? Like that was going to be my whole life. And so I'm not saying this as like a the kind of guy who wants to go into a church and blow it up. Uh, but man, I do think there are probably more churches that are unsavable than than we would like to say. And Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Seriously, seriously. So I'll say my lesson that I took away um, from all of this uh, and trying to like think through all the different things that I thought and, and even felt while listening to this. I think the biggest thing I was impressed with 
in a sense was the importance of the honest and open statement of the truth in church ministry. Mm -hmm. And particularly thinking about a situation like Mars Hill, like if you are in a situation where you think something's going wrong, say something, do something. And if you get fired for that, like hold your chin up and walk out the door. Like that's, that's okay. Like this is uh like, it might be hard, but like, that's okay. It is far better to save your soul, right? And to be honest, to actually like seek to do what is right than to simply acquiesce and, um, you know, just kind of allow yourself to be taken by some kind of trend. And I'm not like, I'm not trying to make that seem uh, like it's really easy or simple or straightforward even, or maybe you've been in a place forever and you're like, man, I can't imagine that this is actually where we're at. Maybe there is still more hope than I thought. And I know a lot of guys in this situation in Mars Hill were feeling that way, right? Like, hey, maybe we can turn this around. Maybe we can do something. Uh, but I just, there are so many stories here uh, where I thought, you know, there's so much re regret, obviously, that mm -hmm. you didn't say something and do something sooner. So just yeah. do it. And like, whatever the consequences might be, like if you are, being honest and truthful and trying to live above reproach and still listening to counselors and listening to those who are older and wiser. But like, if you see something wrong, you see some kind of megalomania going on, Hey, say something, do something. And if that gets you kicked out, um, I think you should be happy with that result. Even, um, even if it's, if it's difficult at the time. Now I was really impressed by the way, with some of these guys who like, they did say something, they did do something, they left and they even gave up any chance of money or something like that oh, simply yeah. because they were like, no, like I'm like, no, I'm not going to sign some, a, a no compete order. Right. Like, no, I'm good. Like, I can't do that in good conscience and I wouldn't do it today. And that was really encouraging to me um, to hear some of those stories down months and years worth of salary. I'm like, man, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's huge. That's where yeah. I'm like, that's where I'm like, yeah, I, I'm with you on this lesson. Men of God, rise up. We just like whatever church body you care about, there's not enough people just saying like not being passive aggressive and not just actually engaging. But man, when I'm listening to guys saying like, and that's when I turned down a year's worth of salary, like. And a salary here wow. was a lot, you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm thinking yeah, about how much that making... would be. Oh, I'm like, yeah, I, I hope. I hope I would do that. Yeah. I hope I wouldn't be like, well, I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, I've got to like my family. I, but man, I, I, those guys, those, those guys do deserve, those guys do deserve a, a healthy tip of the hat for that. Well, we can say maybe you should have done something. You should have tried earlier, whatever. That's beside the point. But in that moment, deciding that was, was godly and was honorable and is something we should all be willing to do which is very very different than the i'm released i don't have to go down with the ship well thank you for listening to restless covering of the tempest or as one of the people who used to work at mars hill called it the enron of churches hey if you want to read a book that was not paid for to be on the New York Times bestselling list, 
you can find some of those at therestlesspodcast.com. We've got a couple books out there, so go ahead and check those out. And we will hopefully be back with more Mars Hill at some point soon. Actually, Pastor Michael has uh, reflections he wrote on forgiveness, you can find there, that he actually wrote. So whatever quality or lack thereof is there, it, it really is just his ideas and thoughts on the scripture for you and your family. So we hope you enjoy that. Go find it.